I'm going to ask you, actually, can you guys in the front row go a row? Can everybody go a row up, please? Everybody go a row up. That'll be helpful because, like, I want to see you. And on this side. You ain't special, Papa. This side. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's just nice to see your faces clearly, even though I can only see your ninja eyes. It's still awesome. I want to talk to you about something in, in kind of relation to what you guys did last week. I don't know if you guys were all able to see the post, but last week uh, we talked about our vision and our goal when it comes to Speed the Light and giving to missions this year. We talked about, you know, what the method, the, the, you know, the, why it matters, all that stuff. And then at the end of the service, each of you took a post-it note and you got along with the Lord and you asked the Lord, God, what is it that you want me to give this year when it comes to Speed the Light? And if you weren't here, please don't feel like you missed out and you can't do it anymore. We would love for you to continue to participate. We will gladly add to that number. But what we did then was we took every one of those post-it notes and we added it up and we said that will be our goal. Because I didn't want to just give you a goal. I wanted it to be our goal. I wanted it to be an accumulation of everything that God spoke to each of you individually. And that will be what we're going to do corporately. Now, in case you didn't see on our social media, that total came out to $42,519 in one year for Speed the Light. That's what we're pledging. That's what we're saying, God, if each of us do what you have called us to do, then that's what we'll see happen. Now, to give you context, we have never reached $20,000 in a year as a youth ministry. So you are already asking to do twice as much. And it would be easy, and this is something I spoke to with the leaders afterward, it would be easy to look at that number and say, you know what, that's not really practical. As a matter of fact, that's probably impossible. We're not going to do that. And here's what I've always understood, and you probably heard this saying a long time ago, if you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're right. And so I want to talk to you about the impossible and what happens when the impossible becomes the normal. Because it happens all the time. I was thinking about this earlier. Oftentimes, the impossible is only impossible temporarily until somebody steps up and shows you that it's possible. There was a time where a mile in four minutes was thought impossible. And then one person broke it, and now it seems like every major athlete can do that. There was a time where going into space was deemed impossible. And sure enough, we were able to orbit space. And then after that, we were able to get to the moon. And after that, we were able to literally land on the moon. And now we've sent, what, the second or third uh, robot into Mars? See, the, the border or, or the boundaries of impossible keep getting pushed back when somebody steps up and says, maybe it's not impossible. Maybe it is probable. As a matter of fact, just going along with the space thing, I'm blown away by this because this was a space race between nations, and now corporations have their own space companies. Jeff Bezos has his own space company, the owner of Amazon. The owner of Tesla has his own private space company. Like, they're trying to do hotels in space. I mean, that's just what they're... And people would look at that and go, man, that's impossible. Well, why? Just because you say so? If you're willing to go beyond what you think is possible, you are then going to be able to see the realities of what you thought were impossible. 
This is a powerful, powerful thing. And it's not just to these grand schemes, because oftentimes there are just stuff in our own personal lives that we write off as impossible. Oh, me get a doctorate? That's impossible. I'm lucky if I graduate from high school. Me, you know, get a, get a job in, in this field? That, that's a dream. That's never going to actually happen. That's impossible. And then we write off 20, 30 years worth of a future just because in our head we go, that's, I'm probably not going to do that. And we don't even try. I mean, I'd give you the credit if you at least gave it all you had and it didn't work out. That's one thing. But oftentimes, we just write on that situation impossible, and it's a way to make us feel better about not trying. Because if it's impossible, then it's not on me. Nobody can do it, right? If it's impossible, it's not my responsibility. But I need you guys to eliminate that idea of impossibility. Because the Bible is clear, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And all things means what? All things means there are no limits to God. And God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than you ever thought or imagined, says the word of God. So this is what I'm thinking about. I'm looking at this and I'm going, 42,519, that might seem like impossible. But guess what? We went from zero to 4,000 one year in Speed the Light, and that seemed impossible. And then the next year, we go from 4,000 to 15,000, and I go, well, that seemed impossible. And then we go from that to 17,000, and I'm thinking, man, the impossible keeps getting pushed back. So 42,519, why is that impossible? Because you wrote it off? Because you thought God's not going to deliver? Why? If you prayed earnestly and the Lord spoke to you, why would God not accomplish what he said he would? The only way I can see us not accomplishing that goal is not if God doesn't show up, but if we don't show up. If we don't go and do the very things that God has called us to do. And in order to accomplish that, we have to get over the mental hurdle that is impossible. You have to understand that maybe there is no such thing as impossible. Maybe I can accomplish all things through Christ who strengthens me. Maybe I can do that. Maybe I can be the first person in my family to graduate from college. Scrap that. Maybe I'll be the first one to graduate with my master's degree. Maybe I'll be the first lawyer. Maybe I'll be the first chief of police. Maybe I'll be the first, you know, firefighter. Whatever it is you want to do. Oftentimes when a student talks to me about their dream, I always try to take it up a step further. So I'll ask a kid, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up? What are you thinking? And they might say something like, oh, you know, I want to work in construction. And I'll say, great. Have you ever thought about owning your own construction business? Right? Take it a step further. If that's what you like, awesome. But why do you have to settle with the bare minimum of it? You don't have to just be the guy who does the framing on the job. You can be the guy who hires the guy to do the framing on the job. You can always take it a step further. Say, oh, I want to be a nurse. Okay, you thought about being a doctor? No, I prefer a nurse. Okay, do you want to be a nurse practitioner? Nurse practitioner can do prescriptions, can do a bunch of other stuff, just like other nurses, but they get paid a little more. Thought about getting your bachelor's degree in nursing because that can add it up. Uh, Everything, there's another level. And again, if you don't get to that, that's fine. But I would rather aim for the stars and land in the moon that never get out of orbit. Are you hearing me tonight? So listen, I was thinking about that, and I go, well, what's the recipe, God? How do we get beyond the mentality of the impossible? And the Lord reminded me of Mark chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at that. Mark chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. Let me give you context of what's going on in the book of Mark. 
Uh, this is just after Jesus in this one portion called the transfiguration of Jesus. This is where Jesus is on top of this mountain with a couple of the disciples, not all of them. And he reveals his glory like he shows himself as God on that mountain. It's just a real powerful moment. And then when they come down the mountain, he sees the disciples and a bunch of other people and their situation comes upon him. It's this dad with his son who's demon-possessed. Now, for those of you who might be new to church, yes, this is real. There is such a thing as demon possession. Um, you know, it's not like Hollywood always paints it out to be, and it's not something that you need to be afraid of if God is in you. Uh, you know, you can't be possessed by a demon if you've already been possessed by Christ. So you don't have to freak out and be like, oh my God, am I going to be possessed? Hopefully not. All right? All right? Jesus is in you. Ain't nobody else trying to move in on that. But in this situation, this young man was possessed by a demon and this father comes to try to get help from Jesus' disciples and they're not able to do it. And Jesus comes down and he brings it to the Lord. And listen to what the Bible says. I'm going to read verse 18 through 27. He says, and whenever this spirit seizes him, talking about the demon taking control of his son, it throws him violently into the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring that boy to me. Let me just pause right here. This is one of the first times where I feel like Jesus is really annoyed. Okay, He's annoyed at their lack of faith. He's annoyed at what they perceive as impossible. And he's sitting there going, how long do I have to put up with your mentality of impossible? This is not impossible. Bring him to me. And we'll get into all what that means in a second. But sometimes what you think is impossible is only impossible in your hands. But if you're willing to bring it to the Lord, you'll start to see things begin to change. It says, so they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. And he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into fire or into water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, God, I just ask you right now, Lord, even as we're talking, God, even as I was bringing up the idea of impossible, there are situations in our lives that we're thinking about. There are situations in our lives that we're looking at, whether it's what you've called us to do for Speed the Ladder, our own personal situation, and we've already written those things off as impossible. And so, God, I just pray, let your word shine through tonight, God. Let your voice become greater and my voice become smaller. Father God, I pray that it'll be by your spirit that you speak truth and that their spirit would believe it. We pray that all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this scripture has a few tips. And I'm going to use that phrase, tips, on how to accomplish the impossible. Okay? Now, let me preface this by saying, it doesn't mean that just because you believe, everything's always going to happen your way. 
Okay, and I've had plenty of moments in my young life where I was angry at God because I really, really, really believed and it didn't happen. Okay, because ultimately God has sovereignty. Ultimately, God knows what needs to happen, when it needs to happen. And so there are going to be times where the answer to your prayer is no. And that's okay. But what's not okay is not praying at all, not trusting at all, not trying at all. There is a responsibility that we have on our hands. And I think there's some tips in this piece of scripture that help us understand some of that. So if you're taking notes, tip number one, your efforts won't always be enough. Your efforts won't always be enough. Think about this. The dad says that his son has had this since he was a little boy. I can only imagine how many doctors dad took this kid to. I can only imagine how many places he traveled to. I can only imagine how many people. He probably went to witch doctors. He probably went to, you know, spiritualists. He probably went to the Jewish leaders. He went to all these different people. I'm sure because this is his son. He wants his son to be better. So I'm sure he tried a million things and none of those worked. And then he brings them to the disciples, right? These are the men who walked with Jesus. These are guys who were used to doing these things, who have cast out demons before. This wasn't their first rodeo. And he brings his son to them, and they couldn't even do it. And sometimes when it comes to the impossible in our lives, we try, and we try really, really hard, and it doesn't happen, and we feel like we failed. And then when we feel like we failed, we end up quitting and giving up. We end up walking away because we think, This is impossible. I can't accomplish that. I'm not able to do that. Sometimes we make the mistake of trying really hard, failing, and then marking that situation as impossible. But that's not necessarily true. Here's the deal. What if it's not about your efforts? Oftentimes, I say this to our leaders and I say this to people when I'm traveling. Your responsibility is faithfulness. God's responsibility is results. You're just responsible to be faithful. And so often we think, well, if I do this, then this should happen. But what if it's not about your efforts? What if it's just about your faithfulness? What if it's just about doing what God called you to do? Some of you, listen, God told you, hey, I want you to sell lemonade for Speed the Light. And you're like, how am I going to raise that much money selling lemonade? I don't know. Be faithful. Maybe some rich person shows up and finds out what you're doing and says, hey, you know what? I'll give you $1,000 for a cup of lemonade. Bam, you hit your goal. I don't know how God operates these things. God just does those things. But that's God's department, results. Your department is faithfulness. So just keep being faithful, even if the results don't seem to line up with the effort. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 through 5. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust, not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. When you are trying to accomplish the impossible, again, whether it's speed the light or your own personal thing, ask yourself, are you relying on your power or on the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you leaning on God or are you leaning on self? Because here's what happens. Oftentimes, we lean on our own power, fail, and then blame God. God, you didn't show up. God, you didn't deliver. And God's up there going, yeah, you didn't include me in the process. You just expected me to show up and wrap it all up in a bow for you, but you never included me. You didn't pray. You didn't seek my face. You didn't cry out to me. You didn't read your word. You didn't listen to my instructions. And yet I'm the one who failed. 
And this is where a lot of people get frustrated with God, even get mad at God and turn away from God. But you have to understand, if you can learn to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit, to lean into God and to say, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to be faithful to whatever it is you tell me to do. I'm going to do it and I'm going to trust in you to do it because I know I can't do it on my own. It's not about what you can or cannot do. It's what about God can do. And that's the part we have to lean on. That's the part we have to hold on to. Listen, the anointing of God is more powerful than the gifting of man. Okay? Anointing means God coming over you and empowering you. The anointing of God. Listen, I can preach and I can tell funny jokes and I can be all this and that. But God's not going to move if it's not through the Holy Spirit. And there was times, I've said this a few times to leaders, but I'll give you an insight. Years ago when I first started preaching and I was getting into the hang of things and, and I kind of like got into the flow of it. And naturally I could speak. It's not hard for me to get in front of a room and talk. That's kind of what I do. But I started getting a little bit like, okay, I got this. And I started relying less on God. I wasn't praying as much. I wasn't seeking as much. I was kind of like just putting it together. I was kind of winging it on a couple of nights. And I remember this one particular night where I didn't put the kind of effort that I normally put in and I'm preaching and the whole time I'm preaching, I am embarrassed beyond belief. I literally I was preaching up here in this room and I just want to stop. I'm like, this is horrible. This is a crappy sermon. I felt the conviction of God over me. I was horribly, horribly embarrassed. At the end of the message, it was one of the best altar calls I ever had in my life. Like kids were crying, boogers were coming out. You know it's a good sermon when the boogers come out, right? Thank God we have masks now. Your boogers can stay on your faces or in your mask. But in this moment, like tears and people are falling out and the Holy Spirit's moving. And this is amazing, right? I look good to everybody else. But I knew that wasn't me. I remember I went through that back to go to the office and when I went back there, nobody was there. I just fell to my knees and I just started to cry by myself. And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, Joey, I don't need you. Either step up or get out of my way. The problem was I was relying on my skills and God was saying, no, you need to rely on my spirit. Maybe it's impossible because you're the one who keeps trying to do it. But if you learn to let go and let God, you'll start to see doors open that you were never able to open. Now, you have to be able to activate that power. And to do that, you have to do something specific, which is my next tip if you're taking notes. Tip number two, you have to have faith. Jesus rebukes them for being faithless. How long do I have to put up with you guys, right? How long do I have to put up with you faithless? And then he rebukes the dad. What do you mean if I can Right? He's calling them out because of his lack of faith. Faith is one thing that we often hear, but we don't understand what to do. Jesus rebuked them for being faithless. Faith is confidence in what we don't see. Faith is not hopefulness. It's not like, I hope God shows up. It's, I know God will show up. I know God's going to do what he's going to do. I am confident in the word of the Lord. I am confident in what God spoke to me. So if God told me I'm going to raise $1,000, I am confident that God will provide $1,000. This isn't a maybe, kind of, if everything works out. That's doubt. Faith is, no, that's what God spoke to me. If it doesn't happen, that's God's issue. That's not my issue. I know what God spoke to me. And so I'm going to work as if it's going to happen. Why? Because I have faith in the one who told me that. I have faith in the one who spoke to my heart. Faith is confidence in what we don't see. And oftentimes we struggle because of a lack of faith. 
because we waver in our faith, because we move back and forth in our faith. Listen, Matthew chapter 17, verse 19 through 20. It says, afterward, the disciples asked Jesus privately. This is Matthew's version of this story. Why couldn't we cast out that demon? You don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Some of us, it's not the size of the situation. It's the size of our faith that's the problem. Your faith is too small. You just don't believe it. Not really. You believe it maybe here, rationally. Even what you read in the Bible, it's like, okay, I get that. But when it comes to this, do you really believe? Do you really have enough faith that God can mend your parents' marriage? Do you really have enough faith that God can make a sick person well? Do you really have enough faith that God can see your friends and loved ones come to know him as their personal savior? Do you have enough faith that God can use you for his glory and for his honor? Oftentimes, it's not you, it's the faith that you don't have. And this is where that just needs to increase. This is where that just needs to grow. This is where that trust level has to move. I've, I've often used this example, but it just works for me. I was never been a great swimmer. I don't know if you guys are like, you know, expert swimmers in this room, which by the way, I think the most useless job is the fact that there's a, a lifeguard at the Olympics for swimming. I just think, what are they doing there? But anyway, if you look at swimmers or if you watch the Olympics, right, right before they jump in the pool, do they jump in feet first? Or do they dive into it, right? They dive into it. And so here's the deal. When you dive into a pool, I don't know. Anybody here can dive? Raise your hand if you can dive. If you can dive. Anybody dive? All right, two people can dive. Nobody else in this room can dive? Then you guys all relate to me. Here's the problem, right? Have any of you tried to dive and failed? Anybody just tried it? Okay, thank you. So here's my problem. I've tried to dive, and I understand what I'm supposed to do, right? Up here, I get it. And I'm like, all right, I got this. And then I and then I jump and then this believes, this believes, this is like, no, you ain't gonna do that, bro. That's not gonna happen, right? You see your leg, like your your toes, like grab that little thing right at the end and don't let you fully jump in. And what happens is rather than fully diving in, what you belly flop and you hurt yourself. Now, a person who can dive, they don't feel a thing. They cut right through the water because they're willing to go all in. It's the person that's only willing to go halfway that ends up really hurting themselves. And the irony is they don't want to try again because of the pain of the last time. Oftentimes, our faith decreases because of our lack of faith the last time. Well, God, I believed you. No, that last time you didn't believe me all the way either. And because you doubted me then, now this situation comes up and you doubt me here. But listen, I'm the same God who could have done it then and can still do it now if you're willing to go all the way in. But you can't hold back because when you hold back, when you think for even a second, maybe God won't do it. Maybe God won't show up. You've already belly flopped and you've already hurt yourself. And if I can add a little bit to this in the department of faith, you have to take ownership for what God has told you to do. Think about this. The father didn't give up because he's a father. That's my son, my responsibility. Oftentimes, these impossibilities that you think of, these situations that God has put on your heart, if he's put it on your heart, it's now your responsibility. 
Even if the responsibility is just prayer, it's still your responsibility. And oftentimes, we don't take ownership of that. We don't own that process. And so no wonder we don't have faith. We don't care about it. That father, he had to have faith because he loves his son. And so I think about that even when it comes to the whole speed the light thing. If you only wrote that down because you were hyped up from yesterday's message or last week's message and you got caught in the moment and you were really excited and, and God did speak to you, but you were just kind of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it doesn't matter to you really. You don't really care about missions. You don't care if people in Africa get water wells or not. Like it doesn't affect your day to day. It's not a part of your world. So why do you care? You'll never do what God called you to do because it doesn't matter to you, right? You ever had somebody do you a favor and they didn't care to do it and it's almost more annoying? Like you're almost like, you know what, I'll do it because you're annoying me with how you're making me feel like I'm asking you to bend over backwards for this situation. Listen, if you're going to accomplish the impossible, you have to care about it. You have to care about it enough to get up when you fail. You have to care about it enough to endure setbacks. You have to care about it enough to trust that God's going to show up even when it seems like it's never going to happen. You have to care. And if you don't care, well, why should God care? If it doesn't matter to you, then you've already written it off as impossible. And the third tip, just in case you're taking notes, yes, faith is important, but you got to be willing to acknowledge that you're doubting in areas. You got to be willing to acknowledge your doubt. Now, doubt is not necessarily the same thing as not having faith. Don't get that confused. If you look at the dad, he did believe that Jesus had the power to deliver his boy. I mean, after all, he brought his son to Jesus. So he had a level of faith. But it also, he also recognizes his doubts. That's why when Jesus says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible for those who believe. The father immediately says, no, 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 I believe. But help me with my unbelief. In other words, he's saying, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. There's a part of me that's doubting, and I need your help in that area. It's okay to admit and to recognize that you're having doubts, but you got to be willing to take it to God too. I remember uh, when I first became a leader, we, were, uh, we had this altar call going on where people were praying, you know, asking, talking to God, and, and I was kind of in the back area. And I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of speak to my heart. And we could talk about what that sounds like. But for me, it was just kind of like, I know that I know kind of moment. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to go and pray for a specific young man that was at the altar. And I remember I'm having a conversation with God and I'm going, I'm not going to pray for him. <laughs> and God's like, go pray for him. I'm like, that dude does not look like the kind of dude that wants me to go and put a hand on him and pray for him. He was a scary looking guy, a big game banging looking dude. I'm like, no, I'm not going to talk to that guy. And he's like, go pray for him. I say, I don't, he, I don't even know. That guy's new here. I don't know him. He's not going to like it. Da, da, da. Now I'm having these doubts with God. And God's saying, go and do it. And what did I do? As I'm arguing with him, I was walking up here. <laughs> Why? Yeah, I doubt it. But I'm still going to be faithful, God. Yeah, I'm scared. But I'm still going to trust you, Lord. So I walk all the way up to this dude. And I go to lay my hand on him to pray with him. And I was going to, I lay my hand, I was going to say, hey, can I pray for you? And as I lay my hand, he turned around, hugged me, like fell on me and just began to cry like a baby in my arms. So I'm holding this giant dude and I'm a big dude too. I'm holding, he's just weeping. And I'm like, this is why God told me to come here. Man, he really needed to let go of whatever was going on in his heart in that moment. I doubted, but you can doubt and still be faithful. 
You can doubt and still do what God called you to do. And God will help you with that doubt. My doubt was removed the second I realized why God called me there. The second I realized what God already knew, my doubt was gone. Doesn't mean I didn't doubt, but that also means that the doubt didn't stop me from trusting in God. And so, yes, God, I I believe, I, I know this is your voice, but help me with my unbelief. Help me overcome my own insecurities. Help me overcome my own doubt. Help me overcome what other people might say. God, there's some doubts that are coming in. There's people that are telling me, no, you don't need to do this. And that wasn't God that spoke to you. And they're manipulating. The church just wants your money. And there's all these other voices. But I know that you spoke to me, God. And so even though I have all these doubts, I'm going to trust in you. And that goes for any situation in your life. Trust me, the greater the situation, the greater the doubts are going to creep in. And you can have those. But what you do with those is what matters. Don't keep them to yourself. Hand them over to the Lord. Be honest with God in prayer. Lord, I'm struggling with this. God, I know you spoke to me and I know you told me something specifically, but quite honestly, I don't see how it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. It's not been happening the way I thought it would. Help me with my unbelief. Help me to keep moving forward. Some of you have been praying for a loved one for years and you don't see how God's ever going to win them over. God, help me with my unbelief because I know what you told me to do. I know what you've asked me to be and I want to keep doing it. Some of you, you're looking at situations and and family members and people that you really care about and you just feel like it's never going to happen. Just trust in the Lord and allow him to walk you through it. You need faith to acknowledge your unbelief. Think about how ironic that is. If you know that you have unbelief, then that means you have a certain level of faith. Because if you didn't have any belief, you wouldn't acknowledge that. It's the fact that you have faith that lets you know that there's parts of you that are doubting. And that's a good thing to be able to acknowledge that. The bad thing is to hold it to yourself. If you look in the Bible, Jesus repeatedly tells the disciples the game plan. He lets them know, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to get captured. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be arrested, strung up. I'm going to be hung on a cross. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to resurrect three days later. So this should not have been a surprise to the disciples. Over and over again, he gave them the game plan. And then as things began to unfold, the disciples run as if they never knew what was going to happen. It's kind of dumb when you really look back at it. And then three days later, like he said, Jesus comes back. And he appears before a good amount of the disciples, except on the first few encounters, there's one disciple named Thomas who wasn't in the room, who wasn't there when Jesus appeared. And so later on, all the disciples get with Thomas and they're like, oh, man, we saw Jesus. We saw the Messiah. He's back. He did just like he said he would. And Thomas goes, you know what? I don't believe you until I can put my finger through the hole in his hand that I saw them nail. Not going to believe you. And if you look at the scripture in John chapter 20, verse 27 through 29, it says, then he said to Thomas, this is Jesus, right? Jesus later on pops into the very room where Thomas is. No doors open. Jesus just pops into the room. And he says to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe my Lord, my God. Thomas exclaimed, then Jesus told them, you believe because you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. I think it's fascinating that Jesus would indulge Thomas. He didn't have to. He's God. He already said what he was going to do. If Thomas wants to doubt, that's on Thomas. 
right? Jesus already appeared before a lot of people. He's going to make a special appearance for one guy, and yet he does. And what that says to me is that God has no problem addressing your doubts. God has no problem coming to you. He doesn't have to explain himself to you. He doesn't owe you that. But he has no problem coming and addressing your doubts and saying, hey, listen, now stop doubting and believe. And then he goes on to say, Thomas, you're blessed because you got this in person. But even more blessed are the ones who don't see and still believe. Some of us, even in your prayer, there's a part of it that goes, I don't really know if I'm even talking to anybody. God, I'm not even sure if you're there. But I'm going to believe that you are. I'm going to trust that you are. I'm going to have faith that these words are not falling on deaf ears. Because there's going to be moments in your life where you have doubt. Listen, as a pastor, there still were moments in my life where I've doubted. Where I doubted if God called me to do this. Where I've doubted if, if I'm who God called me to be. Where I've doubted if God is still in my life. There's moments where the enemy loves to whisper doubts in your ear. And if you keep those doubts to yourself, if you allow those to just be your little secret thing, those doubts grow and become a cancer to your spiritual life. <laughs> Instead, take those doubts to the Lord and say, God, I'm struggling with this. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know if I'm going to be able to accomplish all the things that I really believe you call me to accomplish. But I choose to trust you. I choose to have faith in you. I choose to believe in your word. I'll be honest, that is not easy. But it's also not impossible. You can do that. Because you do that all the time. Think about how much faith you have all the time that you don't even really consider. I'll give you an example. Every one of you came into this room and then you sat down. And you had all the faith in the world that the seat would hold you. What if the seat was broken? What if the seat wasn't working? What if somebody moved the chair as you were sitting down? There's a number of reasons why that chair shouldn't work. And yet not one of you doubted. Not one of you was like, everybody just sat down like nothing. That's faith. Why? Because over and over again, you sat in those chairs and over and over again, they've held you. What's the same thing with God? When you put your faith in the Lord over and over again, and you realize that over and over again, God has been faithful, then it's easy to put more faith into him. It's easy to trust God more. Even if there's a little doubt, even if maybe one time somebody did pull a chair out in front of you, you might look back the next time you sit down, but that's only for a moment. After a while, you just get back to sitting down. Why? Because you trusted after doing it over and over again. Pastor Jason, if you can help me out. There's three tips I gave you. Number one, your efforts won't always be enough. Number two, you have to have faith. And number three, you have to acknowledge doubt. But the fourth one ties all of those together. Let me go back to the scripture that I read. Our main scripture. He says, so he brought this boy when the evil spirit saw Jesus and threw the child into a violent convulsion, da, da, da. Jesus asked the boy's father, uh, how long has this been happening? The spirit often comes into him. Let me skip down. Uh, Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. 
The father instantly cried out, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Now, if you go on to that story, just like we read in Matthew, there's a portion where the disciples ask Jesus, right after he casts out the demon and everything goes on, they say, why couldn't we do it? Matthew chapter 21, verse 21 through 22 says, Then Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. What does prayer do? Let me explain a few things when it comes to that. Because prayer is not manipulating God. It's not convincing God to do something he doesn't want to do. It's not tricking God. It's not, you know, promising God, Lord, I promise if I do this and, and bartering with God and saying, I'll trade you my life for this accomplishment. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is a dialogue. It's a back and forth conversation with the Lord. And oftentimes when we're praying, we're bringing our needs, we're bringing our requests to the Lord and he listens to us. And sometimes he says yes, if it's according to his will. And sometimes he says no, but you still need to ask. And some of us might think, well, why pray at all if God's ultimately going to do what he wants to do? Well, I'll give you an easier example. I think about this oftentimes with my daughter. My daughter now, you know, she's almost two and December she'll be two. And so she's running around. I promise one day you guys will see her. I promise. But she moves around and she likes to play and she's saying words now. And... um, my favorite word that she's saying right now is please. And it's because she doesn't say please. She says, peace. Peace. Right? So she'll want something and we'll be like, say please. She'll go, peace. And automatically I give her whatever it is. Now here's the funny part. If she knew that she could pretty much ask for anything and as long as she says peace, I would give it to her, I'd be in real trouble. Because they really do love hearing her say it. But even though I love hearing her say it, If she asks for a knife and goes, peace, I'm like, no. (laughs) And sometimes she wants things really badly that she shouldn't have because it's going to hurt her, because it's going to cause damage, because she might break it. (laughs) And even though she's cute and even though I love her and even though she really, really wants it, as her father, I know what's best. And so I I don't want to dissuade her from asking. I don't want her to feel like she can't ask me for things because I need her to feel comfortable coming to me because there are so many good things I want to give my daughter. So I need her to be used to coming to me. I need to trust that whatever she needs, she can always come to Papi. If she's in trouble, she can come to me. If she's scared, she can come to me. So I need her to know that she can come to me. But I also need her to know that I'm not going to do everything she wants because she's not in charge. I am. And it's not because I don't want to, it's because I'm looking out for her. In the same way, God wants you to go to him for all of your needs. If you're scared, if you're worried, if you're doubting, if you need faith, the Lord wants you to come and talk to him. The Lord wants you to have that communication with them in prayer. That doesn't mean he's always going to do everything you want. Because there are some times where some things are just not in his will. And we learn to accept that. But oftentimes we miss out. The Bible even says it. You have not because you ask not. So often we miss out because we don't even bother to ask God. Because in our minds, we've already deemed it as impossible. Because in our heads, we already said, I don't deserve it. And so why would I even bother asking God? And if you only knew how much God loves to hear you say peace. (laughs) 
If you only understood how much joy it brings the heart of the Father to have you ask him for something, especially when that something lines up with his will. And so a lot of us, we struggle with the impossible because we struggle alone. Because we don't come before the Lord in prayer and say, God, I need your help. This is impossible for me. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how I'm going to accomplish this. As a matter of fact, I know that there's nothing I can do. I have my doubts. But I also have faith in who you are. I also trust in what you're capable of doing. I also know that you speak to me and that you can encourage me. I also know that you have a plan. And so, God, I trust in you. I put my hope in you. I lay my heart out to you, God. And so here's how we're going to close. I'm going to ask you to stand if you can. And I want you to just bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to think for a second. What's that impossible thing that's on your heart? It might be a, a career path that you've always wanted to, but you struggle with believing that God really wants that for you or that that's what you're going to do. It might be a, a current situation. Maybe somebody is sick or maybe somebody's struggling with something. It might be a friend that you've been praying for to know the Lord for a long time. It might even be the speed, the light situation where you know God called you to raise a certain amount, but you, you look back at what you wrote down and you think, there's no way I can give that much money. There's no way I can give away that much money. Regardless of what it is, and I hope everybody knows that there is something, I really want you to think to yourself, What's that impossible that God wants to show you can be possible? What's that area of your life that you've written off because your doubt has gotten bigger than your faith? And if you have it, I want you to just signal me by lifting up your hand. You don't got to look or anything. Just raise your hand if there's something in your life like that. Keep it up. Anyone else? It might be a future plan. It might even be a spouse where you think no one's ever going to love you. It's impossible for you to ever find a spouse, a husband or a wife, whatever it is. What's that impossible that you've written off, that you struggle with? All right, here's what I'd like you to do. If you lifted up your hand, I want you to meet me up here at the altar. We're going to close tonight in prayer. And if you're watching online or you're listening on Spotify, we're going to cut out the feed in a, in a few but I want to encourage you right where you're at. As they're making their way up here to the altar, would you just begin to pray in your room or where you're at right now? Right where you're at. Take a moment. Take five, ten minutes. Because the same God who's going to meet us here can meet you right where you're at. And so I want to go ahead and, and dismiss those of you who are watching online because we're going to spend some time up here. And we're going to begin to pray. We're going to begin to trust in the Lord.